Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, how are you? We just finished talking off air all about intramural. We got a dub yes. in intramural. Um, a lot's happened in the last two weeks in the mm-hmm. in the personal life of Jack Fitzpatrick. Really? Yeah. Um, so my heater in my apartment broke. So if Charleston, you're listening to this, the heater's still broken in 2-2. I'm not going to say my address at my apartment. <laughs> You might get stalked. We have a lot of pretty intense fans. That hey, we've gone from we've gone from twenty loyal listeners to thirty nine. Ooh, so. wow! Thank you to all those thirty nine loyal yes. listeners out there. Yes, thank you to our loyal listeners <laughs> for tuning in. We've got a lot to unpack tonight. We have spring sports starting, which is exciting, but it also makes our job a little bit harder to talk about all these things and tweet about all these things and get that going. But we got some good stuff. We'll start with a little spring preview, and then we'll sort of go into the, some of the basketball stuff and a little lacrosse as well. But we'll start with softball because they're a little – yeah, we got basketball too. Uh, yeah. Because um, softball's a little bit better than baseball. Expected to be a bit – Yeah, they are. Better. I don't think anyone will debate that fact. So they start the season Friday. They play Cal and Oregon. They've got a really tough schedule this weekend. What do you expect from the team this year? Do you think they can make the Women's College World Series, which is sort of that huge goal? They're trying to do that for the first time in program history. Do you think that's an attainable goal? Yes. I mean, we don't know how good Megan Good is coming off of the injury she had and everything like that. But she's Megan Good. The last time she stepped foot in, what what's it called, the the circle? Yeah. She was the, the national player of the year. She's really good. And um, I really think she's going to make a huge impact on this team. Not to mention they have Odyssey Alexander and Peyton Buresh as other pitchers. And Odyssey's also a great hitter. So is Peyton. And this team is just full of great players. I think they're going to really have themselves a, a very, very, very good season. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about what they have on their roster. I was looking through, and I think they've got a pretty solid lineup, one through nine. The big concern for me is sort of what they have after that. They've got three great pitchers. The lineup looks solid, one through nine. I think the depth might be an issue. 
So if they do suffer injuries or if they are looking to sort of add some people off the bench to do certain things, I'm not sure at the moment how much they have just because they have so many freshmen and underclassmen that are maybe a little bit unproven. But if they reach their potential, if there are a bunch of ifs with this team, of course, if Megan's good as her knee is fully healthy, like she says it is, if she's able to play the way she did previously, then this team's going to be really special because they've got three great pitchers. They hit well. It's Coastal Laporte's second season, so she's going to be a little bit more confident leading the team. I mean, I'm excited to watch them play, and I think we'll learn pretty quickly with their schedule, you know, what kind of team they really are. Yeah, I mean, starting the season off, like you said, Cal and then a ranked Oregon team, then Florida Atlantic, then a ranked Tennessee team and a ranked Kentucky team. They have their work cut out for them, but also if they can finish this week at two and three or three and two or even better than that, I think that that speaks volumes of what what this team can be. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody really expected them to go undefeated or anything crazy. I think they have 53 games, really tough schedule. But yeah, I mean, Oregon's a team that early on really talented, ranked. I think they went 5-0 and last weekend, the opening weekend where Jamie didn't actually play. Uh, Oregon looked really good. I know Kentucky, they play a little later, look a little bit shaky at times. And Tennessee also looked great. So Oregon and Tennessee are going to be really tough outs. Tennessee, of course, killed JMU last year in the Knoxville Regional. No Megan Good, but I think it was 12-3, to and it was actually a mercy rule win for Tennessee. So I'm, I'm sure the players yeah, in that game are a little bit motivated for that as well. Yeah, that's going to be a good game. But I'm, I'm really excited for this team. I mean, I'm just, I, I think I'm more so excited to see Megan Good get back out there yeah. because all of my memories of her are just shutting down batters and then in the batter's box crushing balls like, you don't see that even in the softball game much anymore. Right. I mean, I feel like people at times don't understand quite how great she is. I think the JMU fan base as a whole is sort of coming around and understanding over the last maybe two or three years how great she really is. But, I mean, she's borderline good enough to make, like, the softball Olympic team. Like, she's at that level. It's a lot of college players most of the time or people that are just graduated, things like that. And she's at that level where – you know, she's up winning National Player of the Year awards over some of the players that are on the national team. And I think when you see that and you see what she can do as a pitcher and as a hitter, she is one of the best players in college softball. And to have such an incredible athlete on the national stage at JMU is really special. Because, I mean, you think about other sports, like if JMU had the best basketball player in the entire country, that'd be insane. Or even the best yeah. football player in the entire country, that'd be nuts. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. And the fact that we do at JMU have one of the best players in the nation and the fa- I, I, this is kind of not off the point but just the fact that in high school she was a volleyball player like mainly and was looking at that I think that's one of the craziest things about her story is that like softball wasn't her number one yeah that's what was crazy if I talked to her a lot because I covered the team a lot for the breeze and she had mentioned that you know she came to JMU for a volleyball camp and was was really a better volleyball player in high school than she was a softball player which is kind of insane i think i i talked to um yeah i talked to her high school volleyball coach once for a feature on her and she was telling me about like how they built the entire team around her in one game megan good rolled her ankle and they're all like oh god like <laughs> they need her out there so badly and they'd also talked that like for softball it was basically between like jmu and christopher newport that offered her which is insane yeah a, a top D, four, yeah a d1 program and a 
D three pro, not a D one to D two or a right. a power five to a JMU, like not that a D one all the way down to a D three. Right. I mean, she pitches at the level of a top SEC pitcher, and none of these teams noticed her. None of these teams saw her. She was interested in volleyball, really good. I had heard some rumors from some people that potentially, if she was was healthy. I think last year and could have played, she might've came back for like grad school and potentially had tried to play a season of volleyball. I have no idea if that's actually true, but I did hear rumors that she had had considered that, which would have been hilarious, but no, I mean, she's an incredible athlete. The fact that she's, you know, probably could have played D3 volleyball. I think Christopher Newport said that she would have had her play volleyball and softball if she wanted to. So she's a really talented athlete overall, great player, pretty solid basketball player in high school too. Just, incredible to have her at JMU. Yeah, just, just crazy. I think we've talked a lot about Megan, though. Any yes. other players that you want to watch for this season for softball that you think have the capability of kind of putting together a solid season? We saw Odyssey do it two years ago. Peyton Buresh do it last season. Any kind of dark horse players that you'll, at the end of the season, kind of be su- not necessarily surprised, but um, I guess surprised. Uh, that's now I'm trying to think of another word surprised <laughs> that they had such an impact on the program. Yeah. So there are a few, a few obvious ones like Kate Gordon who's a great hitter. I think she's one that people kind of see a lot. One I'm really looking at is junior uh, Kirsten Roadcap. She's a catcher. I think last year she was banged up a bit and didn't play a lot of catcher, but having her behind the play, is going to be good. She's a really good hitter as well. I'm excited to see how she continues to develop. And it looks like they're going to move Sarah Jubas, I think into the leadoff role. I, think she might have done that a little bit last year but I know Morgan Toll was also kind of in there quite a bit Sarah Jubis is someone to look out for uh, shortstop sophomore this year really good average gets on base has good speed so keep an eye out for her and then the other one that I'm looking at a little bit is Cambry Arnold ah out- you took mine yeah she's she's awesome outfield 5-1 but crazy fast she was in- yeah. injured a bit last year but I don't know what excites you about her because I know she's someone that I really enjoy watching well, I just think the fact that she's a 5-1 outfielder and has crazy range, which softball it is a slightly smaller field, but right. oh my gosh, like some of the plays she made last season, I know she made SportsCenter's top 10 at one point because she has had an absolutely amazing catch out there. I, she just impresses me out there, and, and she's a, and a pretty good hitter. In the, I think she normally hits in the one or two spot because yeah. I think she's more of a contact hitter, one of yeah. those slappers. Yep. But – I'm really excited to see what she does this season. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about this lineup and in, in softball as a whole is you got hitters like Kate Gordon, Odyssey Alexander, Megan Good. They're all going to hit for power and do this. And then they have Sarah Jubas, Cambry Arnold, who are going to, you know, they'll lay down bunts to try to get hits. They'll hit, you know, they'll start running and have those slap hits. So it's going to be interesting to see how this lineup blends because I think everybody really understands that the pitchers are going to be good. So it's mm-hmm. just a matter of, if they can score enough runs, they're going to be a really special team. I really feel like with when Megan's pitching, if this team can score two runs, you're good. Yeah, I mean, if they're going up, I think every time they go up against a CAA opponent and they get like two or three runs, I think they'll probably have a really good chance of winning those games. It gets tougher when you're going up against, you know, SEC squads. But if you can get three, four, five runs consistently, which has been – a little bit of an issue. I wrote a preview for softball and in our, our website, Jamie sports news, shameless plug. And um, <laughs> there's some stuff in there where I looked at when they do get bounced from the NCAA regionals, which they've made the regionals in six straight years. 
and they've lost in the regional in five of the six years. And when they do lose, a lot of it is just scoring. They haven't been able to score more than like three runs a game. So if they can get more than three runs a game, I think they'll be winning a ton of games with this pitching. I think there's a chance, like you said, that even if they do only get two or three runs, they can still win a ton of games. Yeah. Over under this season, you just said, I I, I assume your number is going to be kind of low on this since what you just said. But on the amount of mercy rule games we see this season, the amount of games where they're just laying it on the other team and it's called off. I forgot what number. I think you're up by six by uh, after the sixth inning or something like that. I can't remember if it's six or eight. It might be. I can't remember. Let me let me do a quick Google search here. Oh, beautiful. But how many of those do you think we'll see by this team? That's a lot of ifs happening on if they can get their scoring up, if they can have keep fantastic pitching, a lot of assumptions. But what's that number that you think will be that over under? All right, yeah. So it looks like it's eight runs after five innings. And these okay. are these are seven inning games, of course. I'm gonna say so they have fifty three total games. I'm going to say mercy roll games over under. I'm going to put it at somewhere in between like 15 or 20. Wow. And I, I think that might be a little high. It might be a little aggressive. So you'd, you'd bet the under on that. I guess if I did, if I think if I did 15, I would bet the over. I think there's a legitimate chance that they, they have, I think it's, I want to say it's 21 conference games. Yeah. And I could see them potentially mercy rolling people in, in 10 of those I or more. I don't think the CAA is that strong in terms of softball. I think your your powers are Hofstra. And I think the, the list kind of ends there. Yeah, College um, Charleston has a reasonable team this year, but it's still a ways away from what JMU has on the roster. I, just looking at it last season, College of Charleston, JMU beat them in the CAA semis 15-0. Right. So, like, Hofstra was the only team that really made them struggle, beating them twice last year in the CAA tournament. I, so, I really think the Hofstra is really their only problem this season. Maybe College of Charleston, maybe a, a hiccup here and there. But, I, yeah, I, CAA, I think they're going to steamroll through. Yeah, that's where I think they're going to pick up a ton of their their blowout wins. And they have enough – the non-conference schedule is hard, but there are enough teams in there that aren't crazy. I mean, they've got Binghamton, Morgan State, Longwood. Yeah. I mean, there are enough teams in there that that they're going to mercy rule a lot of teams, which is good for them. I mean, they're going to have times where, you know, they might have a pitcher throw a no-hitter or something in five innings, which I wouldn't be <laughs> – yeah. I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, honestly, it might sound insane, but – in terms of bold predictions, I wouldn't be too stunned if you had a legitimate chance of two or maybe even three pitchers throwing a no-hitter this year. I, I don't think that's – yeah, I don't think that's too bold. You have three I, – I would argue three pitchers on your staff that could be starters anywhere else in the CAA. Yeah, definitely. So it's going to be fun to watch this team. I, I'm, I'm excited. really excited for this. I'm not so much as excited – I mean – I'll take that. I'm I'm relatively <laughs> excited for baseball. I don't know. They they don't do a lot for me as much as softball does. Season starts Friday. They're at home. It's a nice little home series against Norfolk State. What do you expect out of the series? But more, what do you expect out of this season? Yeah. So they've got some interesting pieces. 
Um, Norfolk State, I mean, you look at the non-conference schedule. There are a couple ranked teams in there. I know they have a road series at number four, Louisville, which I assume they'll probably get swept. But other than that, and Cal State Fullerton on the road, it's not really that hard. But they are predicted to finish sixth in the CAA, so I'm not expecting a ton out of them. And I was listening to Duke It Out tonight, which is the Breeze of Sports podcast, which I talk to you about a lot because I sometimes get heated over their takes. But <laughs> I, I do really enjoy what they put together. And tonight they had a, a great episode. And I haven't seen this anywhere, but I also know that, you know, there's not a lot of Jamie baseball news anywhere. But I was hearing Noah Ziegler had said that um, Josh Jones, who is going to be a rising sophomore and a really big player, was academically ineligible. Um, so, I mean, I haven't seen anything on that, so I, have, I can't actually verify that it's true. I haven't seen it in a search yet, but if that is true, that's kind of a big blow because he was one of the better players coming into the season, which will kind of change my expectations for what I expect of them. Yeah, if that's true, that's going to be a huge – I think Josh Jones played for the Turks this last season, actually. That he did, he did. Really familiar. He actually only played one at-bat, not even a full game, one at-bat, <laughs> rolled his ankle when he got thrown out at first. Oh, uh, good old Harrisonburg Turks. But if that's true, that's a huge blow. Just a sophomore. But right. had a solid freshman campaign. But that'd be a big blow to him. But they still have what I've been seeing put out by JMU Sports. One of the top pitching rotations in the CAA this season. Yeah, I was looking at that too when I, when I previewed them. And, and one of the things that stood out is Kevin Kelly. He's kind of the guy yeah. that people have talked about a lot. He was – for us, I guess, I don't know how much you talk to, like, Dave Norman and stuff about the other leagues or whatever, but he was oh, in the Cape Cod League. Cape Cod, and he – Yeah. I, I know well, – you you do too, probably. But I just know so much useless information about <laughs> summer league baseball yep. teams around the country. Yeah. I, I, this is completely off script. We're, I'm going to do a huge side tangent here. So I wrote a uh, feature story on one of the Turks's uh, – starting pitchers this last year, Luke Scherzer. He was with them a couple years ago and he came back Two Tommy John surgeries, absolute craziness to come back. But so I was talking to his dad for probably an hour and he was giving me the lowdown on every in and out every summer league. Cause he, Luke Scherzer had been in like four or five of them through his years. And so I just know way too much information about it, but yeah, he did a Kevin Kelly had himself a summer up there in Cape Cod. Yeah. And the Cape Cod league is loaded. Like, that's where if you're trying to go pro and you're playing college ball and you're a really good player, that's kind of, like, where you want to be. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously some guys that come to the Valley League, too, and are able to go pro from there. But it's a little bit of a more difficult road in terms of getting scouted and having people see you. And Kevin Valley Kelly – Stepping stone to the Cape Cod. Exactly, exactly. And he was in the Cape Cod League and he did great. I mean, he was awesome. And he's been solid his first two seasons at JMU, but I'm expecting him to take a big step forward and – I think they returned something crazy. It's like seven of their top eight guys in terms of innings pitched from last year come back. So they have guys with experience. And if they're able to pitch at a high level and be one of the top few staffs in the, yeah. in the conference, then, yeah, they could have a, a good season. It's just a matter of, you know, are they going to take a step forward from being kind of a mediocre team the last few years? I think another pitcher to kind of watch this season is going to be Justin Showalter. He's a uh, right-hander out of – he went to Turner Ashby right down the street. He pitched for the Stanton Braves over the Valley League baseball season. Again, I'm going to – this this whole baseball season, I'm going to be saying random facts that I heard these names. A lot of these <laughs> right. guys were in the Valley League this summer, a lot of them in Percival. 
But Justin Showalter, he pitched for the Stanton Braves, and he had a pretty solid time out there for for the Braves and kind of gave the Turks, I know, fits whenever they faced him. But I, I have high expectations for him as well. Yeah, and then in terms of relief, I know they're really good. I think they have a few relievers that are some of the best in the conference. Uh, Nick Robertson's one is really interesting. He's a redshirt sophomore this year. 6'6", 265. What? Big kid. What? Last year, he had 23 innings pitched in relief, struck out 33 batters with a 1.96 ERA. The batting at Nick Robertson. He's from Callaway, Virginia, Franklin County High School. Really good. I mean, he was great last year in relief, and he's somebody that you can have him in relief and you have your starters pitching at a high level. It is interesting because this team does have some good pieces it's just a matter of whether they can you know compete against some of these CAA teams were actually pretty solid yeah the CAA is a pretty good baseball league I remember last year they had such a good non-conference schedule but right. then when they got into conference it seemed like everything that could go wrong did go wrong and they finished the season 500 and missing the CAA tournament that they just so happened to host um, right right but I forgot where I was going with that so I'm just going to leave that one right there. And I don't know how they set who hosts it. Maybe it's just like they pick the spot, but it's looking like they host it again this year based on what the schedule says. I so. think I think Veterans Memorial Park is it's just where they do the, it. I think it's one of the nicer, gotcha, and more like pro style ballparks that okay. guys can come and and see it. Because I know that's why. Perfect. Again, another Valley League thing. God, I know way too much <laughs> about this Valley League. The reason the All Star Game is there for the Valley League is because it's a pro style. And it's more pro-like with pro-sized dimensions. So when scouts come, they can better see it, see them in, in a pro set, pro setting. That makes sense. Yeah, so, I mean, that would be a goal, I guess, for this program this year is, you know, qualify for that just so you don't yeah. host it and you're not there. So I guess, what did they finish? Yeah, they finished seventh last year. What did the and top I six think, make it? Yep. Okay. They needed to beat – I I remember this scenario last season going into that last weekend. No, not the last weekend going into the Towson series, which was the weekend before the last, I believe as I'm scrolling through going into the Hofstra. Yeah. Cause they swept Towson in a meaningless series. It was right, right, right. Right. Series. They needed to sweep and they lost the first game. And then they proceeded to then go five and oh, when it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that too. Yeah, and it's also worth noting because the couple of the top teams that were projected to do well in the conference this year are really, really good. And then you have some teams at the bottom that they're just awful. <laughs> so JMU's like in this weird middle area where I don't really see them falling to like William and Mary bad. William and Mary last year was 15 and 39, 3 and 21 in the CA, and they finished the season on a 16 game losing streak. Oh, you love to see it. Oh, so, my Lord. Yeah, so they won 15 total games and lost their last 16. So they lost, I mean, just, just awful. But anyway, wow. Yeah, they're bad. Towson isn't very good. So you have these teams that, you know, are, are kind of average or worse than average. I don't see JMU going to that terrible level. It's just a matter of can they actually compete with the best in the conference or are they kind of going to, you know, stick around in the middle and, and go from there? I, I think they may sneak into the, the, the tournament this is speaking way now so many months away right but i think they may sneak into the tournament and then maybe have some success but i really think it i think the success of this team relies so heavily on the pitching staff 
and when do they yeah. see a team in what part of their rotation. So if like they're seeing on the back end of the rotation, they may not have as good of luck, but if they're seeing it with their ace, Kevin Kelly, then whoever's the two and three in that type of three-game series, then I think they have a very strong shot at winning two, at, at taking a series. Definitely. And I think one of the exciting things with this team is I think they had like 32 or 36 guys. I can't remember what the actual number. It might be 32. And I think five of them are seniors. So, I mean, even just winning 30 games this year, making the tournament, and then having something to build on, like yeah. that's fine. You know what I mean? I think that, that that's really important. So that kind of leads me in to my next question for you. Do you think that there's – or I guess my first question. I don't know if I asked you a question. <laughs> my next question. But do you, do you think there's pressure <laughs> – on Marlon Eikenberry this year to succeed? Or do you think some of it's just kind of like, hey, we're young, let's try to get better and then see what happens next year? Or is, or is there pressure on him at this point? So I saw this question when you gave me the outline. And so I, I crunched some quick numbers. He's been, this is going to be his fourth season as head coach. His first year, they were 24 and 31. His second year, they were 24 and 27. In 2018, last season, they were 26 and 26. I remember a while ago in the fall semester when we were doing some football things it was beginning of basketball season I said a dark horse to have his seat kind of get a little bit warm this season yeah. was going to be Marlon Eikenberry um, I think his seat gets warm I don't think he goes onto the hot seat I think there's going to be a little bit of pressure There's in his time at JMU he's 74 and 84 but I think the fact that he has such a young roster this season if he can be a six seed or a five seed in the CAA tournament, I think he's good. Now, if he's a seven mm-hmm. seed, I think there's going to be a little bit more pressure. I think that dial is going to be heightened up a little bit, and and he will get a little bit warmer on his seat, get arguably hot. But if they can get into the tournament as a six or a five seed, I think he's fine. I think they build, and then next year, if they don't do well, then the pressure really starts to mount. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And here's a question for you that I didn't put on the outline that I think might oh, be interesting. Curveball. So, <laughs> so, so we always talk about, about like men's basketball and Lewis Rose seat being hot. And the women's team obviously has a ton of success. And now we're talking about Eikenberry and him having a potentially hot seat. And the softball team has a ton of success. Do you think there's any element of knowing that you're basically playing, you know, softball and baseball, very similar, obviously basketball is the same game knowing that you're playing basically the same sport and you have this one team that's doing it and succeeding at this incredibly high level. And then you have another team that's sort of struggling and straggling near the bottom of the CAA. Do you think that adds pressure to the coaches at all? Knowing that, you know, they're using basically the same facility. Do you think that changes sort of how the perspective is on those teams and how they're rated? So I, we were, when we started softball talk at the beginning of this podcast, I had that thought. I was like, huh, women's basketball is one of the best in the CAA. Softball is one of the best in the CAA. Why don't their sibling programs have that success? Right. Um, I, I, yes. Because like you, you, what you said, you're using the same facilities and you have the same type of um, resources at your disposal right. as the other team. And you're not producing, yet they are. And softball is a little bit – I don't even know if you can say they're different at all. So I think that kind of does mount it, or at least um, it makes them – it makes 
upper administration step back and say, what's wrong? Right. I think one of the things that for me stands out a little bit, and I don't know what to make of this necessarily, is but we talked earlier in the year, I think you brought it up that, you know, baseball, you go to some of those games and they're they're relatively empty and you got stop, yeah. softballs adding bleachers in left field. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're, they need people, more seats to, you know, to fit all the people that want to go to these games and watch Megan Good and watch all these players play. And I think that's something that's that's really interesting too. And you look last year, softball was forty three and fourteen with Megan Good going down a few weeks before the season with a season ending injury, and they still go forty three and fourteen and make the NCAA tournament. I think it's something like that that it's like wow, yes. that program's in really good shape with a first year head coach. So I, I do think there there's probably a little bit of added pressure there, and it's it's interesting, especially when you're that close. And there are times where those games like borderline overlap at times. And you'll have everybody in the softball stadium and, or maybe baseball practicing or whatever. And it's just like, wait a sec, like how come so many people have gone to these games and they aren't necessarily going to baseball or they don't have that, that same interest. And kind of Definitely. same with basketball too. Like the men's team, they do bring in probably a better crowd just because you get, I, I think you get more right. students with men's basketball, but I think you have more interest in women's basketball. Like, the games I feel like are kind of more rowdy almost at a women's game because the people there enjoy the game and they're really into it. Whereas at the men's game, it's a lot of people that are like, Oh, we're down 20 already. Okay. Time to sit on our hands and watch this game. And I, and I feel like with baseball too, you get the same people there every game and students have no interest because baseball's one, a long sport. I think softball also helps that it's a Definitely. quick fast paced game with a lot of hits and, and fun and, to me, softball is more of a fun, exciting sport. But I love baseball. But baseball doesn't win as much. Right, now. that's a really good point. I think one of the things that you mentioned about like the fun is huge because going to a softball game, it is rowdy, it is fast-paced, the dugout's chanting, you got everything going on. They talked about this a little bit on Duke It Out tonight as well, the, the Breezes podcast, just sort of that, that fun atmosphere. And when you're at the baseball games, at least the ones I've been to, it's kind of like slow and the team's 500 and you know, there's not a lot going on, but softball, they're going nuts. It's quick. The stadium's obviously a little bit smaller, so there's better chances of home runs and some action and stuff like that. The the circle is closer to, you know, home plate than the, the mound in, in baseball. I mean, it's just a lot of different things like that, but I do think that fans at some point, they're, they're going to want to see some wins. Yeah, and looking at Eikenberry's home record since he's taken over, he was 13 and 13 his first year, 16 and 10 his second year, and 13 and 14 just last season. So, at least with the men's basketball team, drawing these comparisons just because it is baseball, softball, right. basketball, women's ba- men's basketball, women's basketball, men's at least kind of win more often at home. And, it, and, it's, and it's fun. They beat Radford at home, and they beat College of Charleston at home. With this bas- baseball team, they're not winning as often at home. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point is that you got to start winning some games at home and getting fans excited. And I do think to certain aspects, there are some tough road series for this team this year, but the home schedule looks kind of easy from what I'm looking at. So I do think that JMU set it up kind of similarly to what they did with, with men's basketball, even though it hasn't worked at all. They've kind of set it up here. I think baseball where they're trying to get a lot of home wins because it's, I mean, it's Norfolk State, it's Longwood, it's Lafayette, High Point, Lehigh, 
you know what I mean? Like Richmond, it's, it's really not the hardest home schedule. So I do think there's, there's going to be a benefit to that this season. And, and the funny thing is, even with that poor schedule, I feel like if they can sweep the Louisville series, I know crazy, <laughs> or even State Fullerton. Right. They win that. I know crazy. I know before we get emails, I know <laughs> it's crazy to say. But if they did that, and they also had a solid non-conference stretch and it's okay conference stretch would you put it past to get a, a bid no i mean they've got enough there that if they could have a really good record if they do pull some upsets and get some stuff happening it could turn into a really cool season so it's just a matter of what they end up doing it should be fun to see but i think definitely the expectations and the excitement there are a little bit tailored compared to what people are expecting with this softball team no doubt Oh yeah, all all expectations are towards softball. They're they're set on the College World Series. Baseball set on the CAA tournament. Right, for sure. Lacrosse started their season as well. Obviously, a tough loss to North Carolina, eighteen to seven, in the opener. What did you see from that game? Do your expectations change for this defending national champions after that game? Um, I'm going to be completely transparent. I didn't really watch the game. Um, a lot of things happening. Yeah. I was following along with Jamie Sports News, Twitter, and things like that as, as things were happening. All knew was going to happen, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, we knew this was this was such a senior laden team last year, and they put it all out on the field and they won a national championship. That is fantastic. This is a team that is now kind of retooling, but at the same time slightly rebuilding. I mean, it was four zero, and then JMU gets on the board, but at one point it was twelve three, and I. I just think it kind of – it tailors expectations. I, personally, I feel like we knew this was coming as a fan base, and we just didn't want to Yeah, I it. think they kind of got hyped up a little bit, JMU, just because of that national championship that people put them at number four in the polls. I'm not sure that they're necessarily, you know, the fourth best team in the country. So I think that it kind of is a humbling loss, and it makes sense. I do expect the team to rally a little bit and – become a solid team the rest of the way, but I'm not expecting a national championship or anything crazy like that. I do think they'll finish the year ranked and, and do well and, and learn from this. They have a lot of young players, but it's going to take time for them to gel. Yeah. I, I honestly think they'll bounce back and they'll beat Virginia Tech, beat UConn, beat High Point, Canasis, whoever that is. Like, I think they're going to yeah. go on a run after this. And I think this was their biggest test of the season. And I think it's, it's good that it happened now because I think it kind of tailors expectations, brings them back to earth a little bit. But I think this Virginia Tech game will kind of show them that, okay, maybe we're not with the big dogs anymore. Maybe we're not a low-ranked team. We're per- I think a number 14 is a good ranking for – which is what Virginia Tech is. I think that's a good ranking for JMU. So I think they'll have success on uh, what – Today, when you guys are listening to this, they'll have yes. success tonight because they play today. At yeah, four. it should be a good test. I think it's it's a better test than UNC, and I think it'll be a much closer game. That'll be a good one. 
Um, if they do end up falling, that'll be crazy to think that just two games in they'll already have matched or actually exceeded their loss total from last season. Yeah, just 22 Woo. and one last year. Pretty good. Who'd, I think Maryland got them. Yeah. Was it Maryland? I, I remember a game they, it was, yeah, 15 12 they lost. Just an incredible team last year, really. Ah. I mean, that team last season, I know this is what we're not supposed to, right. we shouldn't harp on last season, but oh my gosh, that team was so <laughs> good last year. Kristen Godian, a walk-on, and then, oh my gosh, just Haley Warden. Honestly, though, they have one of the best goalkeepers yeah. in the country this season still, so I think they're still set, but it's how well can the defense play. Yeah, I think they'll, like they'll take some time to gel, but once they do gel, it's going to be a good good team and they've got some really good young players that I think the yeah. next you know year or two after this are gonna be really special too so it's gonna take some time but I think maybe people got ahead of themselves when they were thinking like oh we're defending the championship it's like well it's a completely different team so you know you gotta kind of yeah tailor the, those expectations yeah right. not the same team at all when you graduate out how many was it your entire starting it was roster so many of the main contributors yeah I mean, you graduated out Gaudian, your leading goal scorer in what? The history of the program. You graduate out Haley Warden, another solid goal scorer. You graduate out Elena Romsberg, a fantastic midfielder in draw control. Same with Warden. Um, I'm just scrolling through their roster last season. Solid defenders in what was her name? I don't want to get her name wrong. As I'm scrolling through. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Tooker, a fantastic defender morgan hart a wonderful attacker just i'm scrolling through and it's just like oh right. katie kerrigan a wonderful attack like you lost so many big right exactly players. losing all of them makes it so much harder to sort of replicate last season's success so it makes sense a little bit and i do think that unc is an outlier in terms of just how good they are so i think that they'll settle down yeah. eventually and, and kind of get back to it yeah this is Virginia Tech's going to be a fun one. So what do we have next? We got a little AAF. Oh, I'm so excited for this, even though they keep not <laughs> responding to my emails the second I'm about to have an interview with them. I had an interview set up. If the AAF is listening, I'm please, please email me for an interview. But I had the email set up for a time and date, and then they were supposed to email me with everything, and then I not didn't good. get the email. Not uh, good, but was, I did, did not watch, watch the game, game, so I will yield to you on a lot of this. Oh my god, it was it was so much fun. Honestly, though, it started just a quick thing of the AAF, AAF, the Alliance of American Football. It's kind of like the D yeah. League of the NFL. Um, it's it's a league where they're giving guys a second chance, guys that got cut from NFL rosters. Maybe they didn't even get drafted in the case of Ish and Ankara and giving him a chance to get looked at by NFL. Guys like Josh Johnson had a second chance. Um, Josh Johnson was the Redskins quarterback for, what, two games at the end of the season. He was the first pick in the AAF draft. But they kicked off, in, in the case of the Apollos, they launched their first game. And it was fun. It was a fun game. Yeah, because they don't have any kickoffs in the AAF. Oh, it was so interesting. So, Ball placed on I the 25-yard I watched line. a different game because we didn't uh, get Orlando here in Connecticut. And I didn't feel like streaming it, so, so I just didn't. So, 
we didn't get that either. But fun fact, also to everyone listening on this podcast, all 39 of you, if you just go to AAF.com, you can see so streamed it. To watch. Good call. Good call. Yeah. But on what was it? CBS? Yeah, CBS was showing what? Did you get the San Antonio Commission? I did. San Diego Fleet? Huh. That was, I don't get what. Why did the East Coast not get the two East Coast teams? I thought that was on too. I digress. And it's like Spurrier's coaching but, Orlando. How is that not like a main story? Whatever. He's he's now six and zero in first game. Yeah, he took coach a for a team. shot at the Redskins afterward. Yeah, I also I think I tweeted um, for my personal account. The, they tweeted when he was at oh, yeah, his Colgate. first team. He beat with Colgate. <laughs> And I, I quote tweeted, and I said, at least Furrier <laughs> can beat Colgate. Because, James, you sure can't. But, Ishan Ankra on the Orlando Apollos, they made their debut. And a lot of stuff's coming out. Stats are slowly coming out about the AAF. And Ish had himself a game. Yeah, no, his, his numbers are looking good. It's like pro football focus has given him some great grades but yeah you're right the stats are coming out it's i don't know if they sent them by carrier pigeon I to think, people i but think it's, they may have sent them by um telegram it's insane it's like four days later they're like here's your stats like <laughs> you guys gotta fix that but yeah i mean it's interesting i think he had like two catches or something but his grade was like crazy good and then it looks like the apollos have like two maybe two maybe more like wide receiver injuries so he's so, like launching up the depth chart. Yeah, their number uh, their number one guy went down in the game. Yeah, and then all of a sudden Hyman's getting all of these reps and he's making the most of it. Right. They kept running him on a quick like crossing. Yeah, he catch the ball in the middle of the defense and then just twist and turn for like a twenty yard gain. He's shifty. I'm surprised he didn't do more at JMU when he was a Duke. He's fast. Yeah. He ran up. Fast. I, I covered their pro day for the Breeze last year. He ran a fast forty. I mean, the NFL scouts won't tell you anything, but they'll be like, "Ah, oh, fast!" Right. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. With their clipboard and stopwatches, and acting like it, they're guarding national secrets with their clipboard. Hey, what 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 this guy do? Uh, what you got him doing? <laughs> it's like all right. Thanks. Yeah, it's like you really got to closely guard. Ishmael Hyman's 40 time. It's like nobody even ended up drafting the guy. But it's, yeah, just yeah. crazy how weird they are with, with those kind of things. But no, I mean, it's it's cool to see Ish doing so well and Anchor getting some reps and, and all that stuff. I think we are both in agreement here, but do you think that Ish is the one who probably has a better chance to eventually make it to the NFL? We were, t- yeah, we were texting about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> I think it's also easier for Ish to get kind of find a spot in the Definitely. NFL because wide receivers you carry like you carry five six four on a depth chart and he's fast he can catch the ball and he's shifty and that fits a lot of teams like dynamic it fits what they want to do so i i have a lot of he has taught he has nfl speed so i think he could make a jump to the nfl and have a solid season or two there anchor though i don't see he didn't impress me as much as Ishmael. Yeah, I think, and this might be stupid. I don't know if this is a bad take or not, but I think in my opinion, at least, like when you're looking to like the second string and maybe like the fifth, sixth 
or fourth, fifth, sixth receivers in the NFL. It seems like there's a lot of room to improve across the NFL. But when you look at like the fourth, fifth, sixth defensive end or defensive lineman, outside linebacker hybrid types, there's a ton of guys that have done stuff like that and that are playing at a really high level. I feel like if you look across the NFL, across college, there are so many guys that, that do that really well. But if you look at, you know, third, fourth, fifth string wide receivers, it's kind of, an, I guess, a little bit easier to sort of get in just because there's really not that many dynamic, like third, fourth, or fifth wide outs. If you're somebody that has speed and can catch and has some good size like Hyman, it, you seem like you're at a pretty good advantage. Yeah, and also going to special teams, when you're at that low on the depth Definitely. chart, you're expected to make an impact on special teams. And I speed pays in the NFL, and he's fast. Andrew, he's fast too, but, I mean, he just didn't have the off-the-ball type of explosion we were used to seeing at JMU. He he didn't have many reps. I think he just needs to get more reps, move up the depth chart, and I'm excited to see what he does as the season progresses. But I think Ish, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Ish gets an invite to a training camp after this season's over. Definitely. And I think one of the cool things that they had mentioned, at least on the broadcast I was watching, is they talked about like the financial planning and the development and all the different coaching stuff that they really do in this league. So you mentioned reps for anchor, and it seems like that's what they focus on here is really developing players where in the NFL, it's all about winning. So they need you to, if you're not able to win, you're not going to yeah. get that many reps because they're going to give the reps to the guys that are playing more and giving you the best chance to win. So I think that is where both guys are going to benefit a ton. It's just from getting, so many reps and it, it seems like after a week, it's almost working out perfectly for Hyman in kind of a terrible way with people getting injured. But I mean, it, it does seem like he's climbing the depth chart. His grades really good and everybody's getting hurt. So it seems like he's in a good spot to, to make a really big impression the next like two, three, four weeks. Yeah. I'm excited to, excited to see it. I think Definitely. that's enough AAF talk because it's not as JMU centered. It's just a fun thing to talk about. I'll be any chance I get on Jamie Sports News Twitter. I, I will quote tweet anything involving Jamie, you guys. In <laughs> but moving on to the better basketball, women's basketball, 18 and 4, 10 and 1 in CAA. They're getting my thoughts on the CAA title chances. They're going to win it. No, the Dukes cannot earn an at large NCAA berth, in my opinion. I just went through the outline real quick. What do you see from this team? Because I see – They look great. Good. I'm really excited with the way they're playing. 18-4, and 10-1 CAA. And I'm going to give them a dark horse chance of getting an at-large berth. If – if, and I think the only way they can do it is if – I think they have seven games left in the conference. So they're probably going to need to win out there. And then I think they would get a bye, and then they could have two wins in the conference tournament and then lose in the finals. And I think that would give them nine wins – so they'd be 27 and 5 with a 17 and 1 regular season conference record. Their RPI right now is at like 35. I think if they get that right around 30, they're 27 and 5, 17 and 1 CAA. I think they're at least in the conversation on the bubble. The issue is that the CAA, they're really the only team that has a great RPI. Northeastern was high early in the year and now they've dropped to like mid 80s with Drexel. So the issue is they don't have a single signature win. So I think they would need to basically win out with their last loss coming in like a close loss in the CAA final. So I won't completely rule it out. I think there is a chance that they do get that. I also would look for them to potentially receive votes in a few of the AP top 25 polls in the next few weeks. They get to 20 and four this week, 
will be 12 and one in the conference. I think that might put him close to receiving a single vote, which I think people would probably freak out about, even though it's really not the most relevant thing in the world, but I do think people would get excited. So I like the way they're playing. I think that they have a chance an outside chance of potentially getting in the bubble conversation. My issue though, is that they still go through those offensive lulls where they just can't really seem to score the ball. And I think that's going to eventually plague them. If I had to guess at this point, I wouldn't expect them to win an NCAA tournament game if they get in. Yeah, I agree. I mean, their defense is fantastic, but we saw what happens when they go up against a great women's team in Maryland. They put up 87 on you, and you go through a couple offensive blows. You finish with 63. You're in the middle of a blowout. (laughs) And, I mean, yeah, they – their defense is so good in the CAA, right. and I put that stipulation because the CAA is the CAA. And some of their non-conference games, they had fantastic defense, but it was against Winthrop. It was against um, Georgetown, George Washington, Delaware State. And like it's a bunch of these not fantastic teams. But yeah, they're offensive goals. They really need to – I think the problem – is Jackie Benitez's cold stretch. I really feel like she hasn't been doing well as of late. You kind of pointed it out a while ago, but I think in conference play, she is shooting 32% from the field, 27% from three. Yeah, I mean, that's low. And, and she's somebody that the issue with it too is she, you know, is comfortable scoring and shooting. So she's shooting 27% from three, and she's not shying away from taking threes. I mean, and eventually they'll start. I really do think she's such a great She's got a good shot. That, like, eventually they're going to have to start falling. I say that a lot <laughs> with basketball. I'm like, it's such a great shot. <laughs> right. It has to start going. Keep putting it up. Keep putting it up. I think if she goes on a tear, though, this team's offense will look completely different. <laughs> Definitely. And I would say they could win a conference, an NCAA tournament game. But she has to start having them fall. But, you know, you're right now in conference play. Keep letting them go. Keep letting them go. Your defense will got your back. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the positive is you're winning games by 20 and she's going like 2 of 10 from 3. So if she if she goes 7 of 10, you're winning by 35. So, like, I mean, if she does start to get those to go in, they become a completely different team. You're right. I think the thing that for this team is we're talking about NCAA birth, and it's definitely sort of a fringe bubble at this point where they would need a lot of things to go their way and probably have to, like, win out. They realistically, and I don't – I mean, I think you might agree with this, too. They should be 21-1. and one. They should have – Oh, yeah, without a doubt. No, the, the fact they lost to Hampton – That's a really bad okay, loss. Maryland, you, can, you can lose that. Wake Forest? How'd you lose? You missed for huh? – Right, and Wake Forest isn't that great this year, and they had that game. I mean, they had the game, and they, they just couldn't yeah. – they should have won that game. And then what was it? The UNCW? Home? Yeah, when they play UNCW at home, I think they're going to be kind of ticked off. I think that'll be a really fun one to watch if you're a Jamie fan. Oh, they're going to absolutely obliterate them. What? Oh, I'm working that game on Sunday. Yeah. No, I'm not on baseball. Never mind. Disregard that. I'll be at, be at Veterans Memorial Park. But, yeah, they're going to absolutely steam. I think they're going to steamroll their way through the rest of the yeah. CAA. Every time I say that, though, they lose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would agree, actually. I mean, I probably think they would go 17-1, but maybe somebody upsets them. But, I mean, they've got – I think they play Drexel at home. So, they've, they've got, yeah. you know, favorable matchups the rest of the way. And 
I mean, they should probably go 17 and one, but we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, it's a team that if they're 21 and one with their only loss being to, you know, a top 10 or whatever Maryland is right now team on the road, then I think they're in a crazy good spot for an at large, but instead, oh, instead they have these three yeah. losses that are looming over their head. They don't have a signature win. And I feel like that's going to potentially haunt them if they don't, you know, beat the crap of the rest of their CAA teams and, get lucky with the RPI and things like that. Yeah, but if they if they had one loss. Sure. At at large. But you know what game really um worries me on this schedule? Towson. How did you know Towson's a scrappy team. They... <laughs> High level of basketball. <laughs> um yeah, they really are. Like, I just feel like every year Towson, for some reason, gives JMU problems. And I'm, I would not be surprised if they dropped it. It's at the end of a three-game uh, away stretch. I know it's a week in between their William & Mary away game and then the Towson away right. game. But it's still a three-game away stretch, um, road stretch. I don't know why I said away. I wouldn't be surprised if they dropped that one. That's a good point. End of the little road stretch. Towson Towson took them to overtime at home. They're one of the exactly one of the better conference teams this year. Yeah, I guess you can't rule that one out either. It's that'll be probably one of their bigger tests the rest of the way. Uh, gonna be fun to watch. Should be fun. And then going to good old fashioned uh, men's basketball. Oh yeah, I've got some takes for you. Anything to say? Okay, I want to hear them. Bring them on. They're ten and fifteen, three and nine CAA. Every take I've had has been utterly destroyed as wrong. What's your take? Sir? My take is that if you're a JMU fan, just just end the optimism this year. Like, nothing's going to change, right? They're ten and fifteen. They're three and nine in conference. They're three and ten on the road. Nothing's changing. I don't think they have any confidence. I was listening. I brought it up like four times. I was listening to like Duke it out tonight. And Noah Ziegler actually covered the game at Towson. He talked and he said that I think he asked Darius Banks and Darius Banks about like the team's confidence. And he said that, you know, the confidence wasn't really where they wanted it. And then he was talking to Stucky Mosley and Stucky Mosley is like, we've been, you know, the same confidence level we've had all year. So, I mean, that like even the players don't really know what's happening in terms of like, is it confidence? Is it execution? What is it? Nobody knows. They just know that they're not very good. They're 10 and 15. It's not going to get better. Like, it's, there's no reason to believe it'll get better. So that's my take is just, like, they have, what, six games left in the regular season. <laughs> just there's no reason to be engaged. It looks, I'm looking at the website right now. Tickets for home games are ranging from 11 to $17. So that's what you need to know. It, it costs more probably to watch a movie than it does to watch Jamie play basketball for two hours. Like, it don't, you shouldn't be excited about this team. They're not doing anything exciting. They don't play anyone exciting at home. It's Drexel, Delaware, Elon, William, Mary. Four snoozers. And then you've got Northeastern and Hofstra who actually play good basketball, but those are on the road. So, I mean, there's no reason to be excited about this team the rest of the way. I would say they have a better chance of winning 20 games, which would mean they lose five of the next, next six in the, in the CAA tournament exit, which is you know, they're not winning the conference tournament. So, I mean, I think they'll probably lose 20 games this year. I would say they have a better chance of, of losing 20 than they do of winning 13 and they have 10. So, I mean, I'm going to say that they lose at least five and they don't win more than two, which I guess the math checks out there. So, I mean, there's just no reason to be excited. They play in the conference tournament in early March. Um, 
yeah, if they play in the early game that's like on the Saturday and if it's, you know, if it's before four o'clock or before night, I mean, either sleep in and, and miss it or just go to lunch somewhere. I wouldn't, <laughs> they're just not good. Like, I don't know people. I mean, there's so much about like optimism. It's like, well, if they get this win, they string another one together. It's, it's not going to happen. You know what I think it is? I, you know where I think all of this optimism stems from? Where's the optimism stem from? I think it's the fact that everyone makes the tournament and that <laughs> all it takes is, is a four wins. And then you're in, the, you're, in, <laughs> you're in March. Like, I think that's where the optimism stems from. It's, well, if they can find a rhythm late, they can win four games, which I, I did a piece a couple, in Lou Rowe's first year. Um, where I was writing about their postseason expectations. <laughs> I think I remember that one. <laughs> I, I, I asked Ramon Snowden. I, I remember this question because I did hella research for it. I don't know if I can say that word on this podcast, but I just did. I did hella research for it. And I was like, so Ramon, um, a team hasn't won the CAA tournament by winning four in a row right. since like 1976. <laughs> right. I was like, what makes you guys think you're different? He goes, I didn't know that. <laughs> and like, oh, so like it's not going to happen. Right. right. The fact it has happened and the fact it is possible. And if oh, any team was going to do it, it would be this team. It sounds like he had belief beforehand. And then he, you, you told him, he was just like, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. But okay. I have a question for you. When is the, Last time JMU won four consecutive games against Division One teams under Lewis Rowe. I know the answer to this because I brought this up last podcast, and you said it'd be the first time it ever happened. <laughs> They've never done it. They have never done it. There's no reason to think on a neutral court they can win four games in a row. They're probably going to lose in the first round, but they'll have like a halftime lead, and people will be like, "Is it happening? Is it happening?" No, <laughs> like it's not happening. It's never been happening. The team, ah. Oh. They should like I was actually about I was about to get ready and like a little bit optimistic for the rest of the season. It was actually like, oh, maybe they're turning a corner. I thought they looked good against UNCW in that win where they scored 104 points. But UNCW plays defense like my grandparents, so it's not that impressive because I mean they really don't guard anybody. And then you've got Towson, who's just bad. Like Towson's not good at basketball. They're up four at halftime. Stucky Mosley looks good. I'm like, oh, they're gonna gut out a win here. They're going to win two in a row and then have two winnable home games. And then they go out and they – Sucky Mosley doesn't score in the second half and they lose. So with that UNCW game, I heard the score. I was like, 104 points. Wow. That must have been a blowout win. Stuff <laughs> by them. Like, must have played some good defense. 104 points. Wow. And then I looked at the box score and I was like, oh, they won by nine. Not even double digits. And they put up 104. Not good at all. So, I mean – just terrible. I follow this one guy who tweets about CA basketball a lot. It's Brian Mole, and he talked about how UNCW has like historically one of the worst CA defenses in history. And people are like, Jamie's offense might have found their like its groove. It's like, no, they're just playing against a terrible team, and then they go out and they drop fifty nine against Towson. So they scored they scored sixty points in the second half against UNCW, and then fifty nine the entire game against Towson. So like, there's no finding a groove. There's no nothing. And you know what's really funny? So they scored 104 points in that UNCW game. 
and then the game before that against the tra- College <laughs> of Charleston and the game after it, they combined to score 112. <laughs> Just let that sink in. They barely outscored one game with two. That's actually that's, pretty that's insane. Say. That's, that's kind of insane. Yeah, the second half of the UNCW game was, was more points. Wait, hold on. I'm going to do some quick math here. That's more points than they have scored in uh, three, four. Oh, no, I was doing the math wrong. This might take a minute. <laughs> Let's see. Three, four, five, five. That's more than they've scored in five games this season. That one half. It's a heck of, uh, heck it of was a, a road game. It was a road game. That's what was so exciting. It's like, oh, wow, they, they killed them on the road, and they have a chance to go beat Towson on the road and then win a couple at home. It could be four in a row for the first time in history. Not in history. <laughs> in the Lewis Rowe <laughs> era against D1 teams. But yeah. no, instead they just, they just – they're one and one in those two. What a fantastic way to finish this. What a really fantastic way. And then we've got, you know, the CAA tournament coming up, which – I'll probably be optimistic. I think everyone, everyone's still going to be optimistic. Like, if they click, if they get Mosley going. Oh, so, man. We'll see how it goes. Uh, any other thoughts on the world of JMU sports? I think that's basically everything. I know women's golf won a match play thing last weekend, so congrats. I think golf did well. Yeah, they were like third and something, and then track and field had some stuff that I missed in the newsletter, so I'll make sure to to hit them later this week or whatever. But, yeah, lots of stuff. I'm excited that we have so much to talk about now because we had sort of that, that yeah. dead, dead period for a while, and that was, that was rough. Maybe depending on how things start to go, we might go back to a weekly Oh, podcast, yeah. But... We might have to get back into the weekly group, folks. Stay oh, on alert. Well, um, go to www.jmusportsnews.com. Yes. There's a lacrosse season preview. I know their season started, but yes. check that out. Uh, some national letter, the signing day stuff is there. Women's basketball weekend preview. There's some uh, quality softball. stuff. You've, host, you've been on a tear. I've been on a tear. I am working tonight. Hopefully have it up soon when people are listening on a piece. I talked to Brian Shore over the phone about Canadian football and his opportunity there. So I've got, that's about halfway done. So I'll have something on Brian Shore where he talked about his opportunity and why he's taking it now and and burnout after he was done at JMU and taking a year off of football and all that good stuff. So Beautiful. I like that tease. So be on the lookout for Brian Shore's article. Hopefully we'll have an AAF one out of yes. sometime. Yeah. Um, around draft time, we're going to have a Jimmy Moreland piece. Oh, yeah. So I talked to him, and I think I'm going to go for the big picture on that one and start talking to some SB Nation and some beat reporters around the country. Oh, yeah about their teams and his likelihood with them. We've seen him link to Detroit, uh, the Lions, the 49ers, the Browns now recently. So be on the lookout for that. But in the future, the near future, that Brian Shore article. Definitely. So I'm sure to follow us on Twitter oh, at yeah. Sports News. Go to our website. Check out all the awesome stuff we have at www.jamusportsnews.com. Um, I feel like that's all the things I normally say at the end of an episode. Anything else? I think that's it. Beautiful. You all have a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. Uh, For Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. See ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.